Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Reds are on the radio. This is the Tri-State Chevy Dealers Extra Inning Show, brought to you in part by Rising Star Casino in Rising Sun, Indiana, where you can play, stay, and get away. CBTS, a Cincinnati Bell Company, technology solutions for business. CarryAutomotive.com, right by you. CME Sewer Lining, the no-dig sewer line repair experts for over 20 years. Rumkey Waste and Recycling, now hiring CDL drivers and mechanics. UFG Insurance. Trust your insurance needs to a company with 70 years experience. UFG Insurance. Brandstetter's Kanga Roof. Like Pete Rose says, you can bet on Brandstetter's Kanga Roof. And by your tri-state Chevy dealers. Visit ChevyDealer.com for special offers. The Reds are on the radio. This is News Radio 700 WLW, the home of the Reds. Dan Horde and producer Taryn Bland back on the Tri-State Chevy Dealers Extra Inning Show here on News Radio 700 WLW. Our phone numbers on the home and RV listener line are 749-7000 locally, toll-free, 1-800-THE-BIG-1 or pound 700 on AT&T. And that's brought to you by Home and RV, the official RV dealer of the Cincinnati Reds. If you were not listening or watching today, a rough day for the Reds. They took a 7-3 lead to the bottom of the 8th and gave up six runs in that half inning, losing to the Dodgers 9-7. So after sweeping the Cardinals at Great American Ballpark, the Reds got swept in L.A., again losing today 9-7. The Reds fall four games under five hundred again at 29-33. and The Brewers are losing badly today, so it looks like the Reds will still be three games out of first in the NL Central. However, they have fallen behind the Cardinals, who after being swept in Cincinnati, swept the Phillies, winning today 6-5. So the Cardinals have moved a half game ahead of the Reds. Milwaukee in first. The Cubs one game back in second. The Cardinals two and a half back in third. And the Reds three games back in fourth. The bullpen blew it today. But the most glaring weakness for the Reds this year is obviously starting pitching. Their starters are averaging slightly less than five innings per start. That is dead last in Major League Baseball. And it is taking a major toll on the bullpen. Furthermore, red starting pitchers have a 5.87 earned run average, and that is also dead last in big league baseball. The good news is help could be on the way. Homer Bailey, remember him, who has been injured for most of the past three seasons and only made six starts for the Reds last year, made his first start this year, a rehab start for the double-A Pensacola Blue Wahoos on Friday. And he pitched well. He threw five scoreless innings, walking one and striking out five. 42 of his 64 pitches were thrown for strikes, and Homer hit 94 miles an hour on the stadium radar gun. Here's Homer on his first rehab start. You know, I think all signs tonight pointed in in really good directions. Uh, The ball, like I said, was coming out of the hand really well. Um, That's one thing that throughout the whole process I really haven't lost was command. And that's it's kind of a rare thing, and to add that with the way the ball was coming out, and it is tough. I mean, three years, like you said, you can't think about it. It's just you have to kind of you, you can't change the things in the past. It's about going forward, and 
And uh, as you can see with the Reds, you know, playing some really good baseball and, and some, you know, they have some downsides that they need some improvement on. And, and that's my main focus is just preparation to get there and, and help the guys who, uh, who I really miss playing with. The tentative game plan for Homer Bailey is to make two more minor league rehab starts. And at that point, assuming all goes well, he could rejoin the Reds' starting rotation. Brandon Finnegan, a.k.a. Finney, is also currently on rehab with Pensacola, and he tossed three scoreless innings today. Now, considering that the Reds are only three games back in the NL Central, despite the struggles of their starting pitchers, how eager is Homer Bailey to get back to Cincinnati and try to help? Luckily, I've been through this enough times that you don't try to uh, think there. I'm, I don't want to think about my first start with the Reds when I still have two more rehab starts. Um, that time's going to come. And, and like I said, I know those guys are battling up there. And you've got some really good players. You know, Finney was here earlier, so he's kind of in the same boat. Um, it's more about all the rest of the guys, too. You know, you see uh, Cozart and Joey having all-star type years. You know, the bullpen has done an outstanding job and, and probably needs some relief. And, you know, I, b- I believe as long as we prepare in the right way, um, the second half of the season, we're going to be a slightly different team and be in a great position to, to do some really cool things. So following up on that last comment, here is Homer Bailey on the Reds exceeding expectations so far this year, despite not having him or Anthony DiSclefani and barely having Brandon Finnegan so far this year. Oh, I think it's just kind of the same old thing. I mean, <clears throat> before the season, they always make predictions and none of them are ever true. So they expected us to be a last place team. But, you know, over the last couple of years, we've had so many injuries and, and we're stacked with a really good team and a lot of experience and experience being a playoff contending team. Um, so I think we were probably the only ones who, who didn't buy into the crap. But you know what they're showing? Uh, they're definitely showing what they're made of as far as character-wise. You see it in the bullpen. You see it in the lineup and defensively. Uh, you see even the starting guys, when they're not doing well, they bounce back really well and put up some good games. And I know here recently they've been throwing really well. So we've heard from Homer Bailey. Now let's talk about the 31-year-old former first-round draft pick. We have a tendency to be snarky about Homer Bailey, and I've definitely been guilty of it myself because he is making a ton of money and has not been able to pitch much over the last two and a half years. Many of us criticize him or blast the Reds for his contract instead of acknowledging that it's not his fault he's been injured. Does anybody mock Sandy Koufax for quitting at age 30 because of a bad elbow? Or in football, was it Greg Cook's fault that his right shoulder was never the same after tearing his rotator cuff as a Bengals rookie? I didn't think that the six-year, $105 million contract that Bailey signed in February of 2014 was a smart move by the Reds at the time, but it's not like I thought it was crazy. Bailey was 27 years old at the time. He was coming off two very solid seasons. In addition to his two no-hitters, do you remember how Homer pitched in the one playoff start of his career? How about seven innings, one hit, one run, and ten strikeouts against the San Francisco Giants? Those ten strikeouts are a Reds record for a playoff game. Unfortunately, in August of 2014, the first year of the big contract, Homer tore a tendon in his right forearm. The following year, he tore a ligament in his right elbow. Prior to this year, he had bone chips removed. None of that is Homer Bailey's fault. It kind of reminds me of the scene in the movie Goodwill Hunting, 
where Robin Williams' therapist character tells Matt Damon's character over and over again that the child abuse he suffered as a kid was not his fault. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. I know. It's not your fault. I know. No, no, you don't. It's not your fault. Hmm? I know. It's not your fault. All right? It's not your fault. It's not your fault. In this case, we're the ones that have to be reminded it's not his fault. It's not his fault. It's not his fault when it comes to Homer Bailey and injuries. I don't remember anybody ripping Jose Rijo for a bum elbow or Don Gullett for being done at age 27 because of his rotator cuff. It wasn't their fault, and it isn't Homer Bailey's fault. And for that matter, either is his bank account. What was he supposed to do, turn down the Reds' big offer? Homer is in the fourth year of that six-year contract. He'll make $19 million bucks this year, 21 next year, and $23 million in 2019. The Reds can keep him in 2020 for $25 million or pay Homer a $5 million buyout, which obviously seems more likely. The bottom line is, after this year, they'll still owe him $49 bucks. Let's hope that next rehab start goes just as well as the first one did, but if it doesn't, due to injury, it is not Homer Bailey's fault. We need to take a timeout. Coming up next, we'll play 10 teammates in a hat with Mr. Perfect, Tom Browning. This is the Tri-State Chevy Dealers Extra Inning Show on News Radio 700 WLW. You're listening to the Tri-State Chevy Dealers Extra Inning Show, also brought to you in part by Western and Southern Financial Group, helping make Greater Cincinnati the best place to live, work, and really enjoy life. It's time for this week's episode of 10 Teammates in a Hat. My guest, one of 23 pitchers in Major League history to toss a perfect game. Time to play 10 teammates in a hat with one of the great Reds pitchers of all time, Tom Browning. Tom, you played 14 professional seasons on 19 different major or minor league teams, by my count, beginning in Billings, Montana at age 22 and ending in spring training with the Kansas City Royals organization when you were 36. I have written down a year, the name of a team, and one of your teammates, and all of these little slips of paper, so I'm going to ask you to pick out ten of them, and as you open each one, tell a little story about the name that you see. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right, here we go. Ten teammates in a hat with Tom Browning, former teammate number one. Number one, 1984 Wichita Arrows, Brad Leslie. L Animal, um, one of my dearest friends, uh, kind of took me under his wing in 1984. He was uh, kind of trying to work his way back to the big leagues. A fun-loving guy, uh, drank a lot of beers together. Uh, ended up going over to Japan, became fluent Spanish or fluent in, in the Japanese language. Uh, went to fancy camp with him for a long time, and he used to do this skit with a, you know, with an outfit where he'd wear a wig and a dress, and he would speak total uh, Japanese, and it was very entertaining. But a uh, very dear friend lost him to uh, had some problems with his kidneys and ended up uh, passing away a couple years ago, a couple three years ago. So, but uh, dear friend, and certainly loved uh, a lot of things about him. Brad Leslie, the animal, went on to an acting career. 
after playing professional baseball. Okay, number two in former uh, 10 teammates in a hat with Tom Browning. 1991, Cincinnati Reds, Hal Morris. Snake. Awesome first baseman, awesome guy, smart guy. Went to Michigan, ended up getting a master's at Stanford. Uh, but what a great competitor. Uh, we used to have this thing where, you know, when we were struggling, we'd all, you know, uh, everybody would put in $100 for the game-winning hit, and now Hal got the game-winning hit uh, for us in the World Series, so he made some money that way. But uh, certainly a great competitor, uh, great teammate, uh, and a smart guy. But uh would have him on any team that I played with. That's how much I enjoyed being around Hal Morris. All right, we move on to former teammate number three with Tom Browning. 1989 Cincinnati Reds, Jose Rijo. Well, I know he was in 1990. He was the best pitcher in baseball. 1989, he was, uh, I think it was his first full year coming over, maybe his second, uh, but I think he finally got into the rotation. Uh, you could see what a, what a stud he was. Uh, the only problem with Jose is he always had some trouble with his elbow because he had such good stuff, and I think that slider ended up catching up to him. But uh, not a better pitcher in baseball, I can say, for the from probably late 89 to, to whenever he left the Reds, but uh, another competitor loved to compete. Uh, we used to compete quite a bit on who could do what out there, and I remember he threw a shutout in, uh, in L.A., and then I was able to back it up with another shutout. So uh, we, we fed off each other because we liked to compete. Uh, but, you know, like I said, and we, money pitcher, when, it, when the game was on the line, Jose was the guy you wanted out there. Pretty lethal righty-lefty combo in Riho and Browning. We move on to former teammate number four. 1990 Cincinnati Reds, Eric Davis. E-man boogie. We played all the way up together, starting in Structural Lane 82. Uh, so we saw the good and the bad, and uh, but a lot of good through the, with the Reds. But uh, 1990 with Eric Davis obviously set the tone in the World Series with the home run in the first inning. Uh, but... You know, we just looked for the, the double tap on the thigh because when he double tapped the, his glove on his thigh, then we knew he had the ball under control. He was going to catch it. So, uh, But not a better athlete in all of baseball. I think uh, when he first arrived, I think for about three or four years, he was by far the best player in baseball. You know, and Barry Bonds came in and then Junior showed up. So then there was some competition. But uh, one of my favorite teammates, one of my dearest friends, and uh, boy, if he could have stayed healthy, he could have done some wonderful things. But he did some wonderful things already. But. Uh, Awesome teammate, awesome friend. Uh, I would go to war with him. And remarkable to think that he's still the last player in Major League Baseball to steal 80 bases in a season. It's been a long time. We move on to former teammate number five with Tom Browning. 1983 Waterbury Reds, Ronnie Robinson. <laughs> Another dear friend uh, we still get in, stay in contact with. Uh, Ronnie Robinson was a one of the top picks, I think, uh, in 81 or something. Uh we played together in 82 in Instruction League, but then I started the year in Tampa in 83 and got called up to Waterbury, and Robbie was there to meet me, and we became fast and furious friends uh, from that point on. But uh, certainly a big prospect with the Reds, uh, big kid. He developed some elbow problems as well and was never able to uh, quite uh, get it taken care of, but he did take a perfect game uh, into the ninth inning with two outs with an arm that he couldn't even straighten out. Uh, and then the guy dropped the ball right in front of, I guess, Wallace. Uh, Wallace Johnson dropped the ball in front of Cal Daniels for the, the base hit with two outs, but uh, had a chance to be a really good pitcher. Unfortunately, elbow problems kind of sidelined him, but uh, another dear friend and another guy that uh, was a good competitor. All right, we are halfway through 10 teammates in a hat with Tom Browning. We move on to former teammate number six. 
1982 Billings Mustangs Cal Daniels. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Uh, Cal Daniels led the league in everything in Billings, Montana in 1982. Uh, outside of Gary Reedus hitting 400, I think, the year before or the previous year, Cal Daniels, my, in, in my mind, I wrote a book and I talked about Cal Daniels. I gave him his own chapter, but he was by far the best hitter I ever saw in baseball. Uh, just had some really bad knees and had to play in that AstroTurf, and it really tore him up a little bit. But Cal Daniels was, uh, especially in 1982, he led the league in everything. He was like... Mr. Everything, and he was awesome, uh, and we became good friends as well. Um, it's funny how they all, we all became friends, but uh, but you play together for long enough that you start to develop a nice relationship. But Cal Daniels is uh, he still teaches baseball today, he coaches kids. I think he has his own uh, conglomerate. Now. I think he sponsors like six or seven teams. Uh, but uh, from 1982 until he left the Cincinnati Reds, Cal Daniels was by far the best hitter I ever saw. Wow. All right, 1982 in Billings, your first year in pro baseball. We move on to former teammate in a hat, number seven. 1995 Omaha Royals, Chris Steins. Oh, okay. Uh, Steiny. Uh, I actually met him when he, right before he was trying to hire an agent, and my agent, uh, I was happened to be in Arizona, and I think uh, Chris was just getting started. And uh, we had lunch and talked to him about baseball and stuff, and then teammates, uh, you know, good player, could play anywhere, uh, hungry. He was a young kid and was willing to go through the wall for anybody, uh, but turned out to be. I, I met him and, and Trevor Hoffman were the two guys that I had lunch with uh, right before they were kind of getting, and then Trevor got taken in that draft. But, um, yeah, Steinze was a good player and had a pretty nice career. I don't know how long he played, but uh, he was certainly a reliable guy and a, and a good teammate too. On to former teammate number eight with Tom Browning. Wow, I'm just glad I remember all these guys. <laughs> okay. 1985 Cincinnati Reds, Peter Edward Rose. Well, as a kid growing up, being a Reds fan, you know, uh, Pete obviously was a main co one of the main cogs in that organization. So, uh, uh, But he wasn't my favorite player. Cesar Geronimo was. But he was certainly my favorite player in 1985 because I got to play uh, with the Cincinnati Reds with him. And obviously that was the year of the Ty Cobb chase. Uh, and all of us starting pitchers, we were, you know, just hoping that we were the guy uh, to be able to, to pitch the night he breaks the record, and, and then he tied it in Chicago, and then Ronnie Robinson had the first chance, and he didn't get a hit, and then I had the second chance, and he ended up getting the base hit. Uh, and I sat there for 40 Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Five minutes while they brought him out as new Corvette. Uh, and then he came and took me out in the ninth inning with a four-hit shutout. So, uh, And he came to the mound. And he said, hey, how you feeling? I said, I'm good. I'm okay. He goes, well, I, I'm going to bring Johnny in. I said, I'm okay. He said, hey, I need to win this game. And I said, you don't think I'm trying? Uh, he said, just give me the ball. you know. And I gave him the ball, and I ended up getting the win. I think Teddy got the save. But, uh, you know, anybody that's a Cincinnati Reds fan or knows anything about Cincinnati uh, knows that Pete Rose is, you know, an icon. And it was a pleasure playing for him, playing alongside him. Uh, and it was – and I don't care – when anybody says he is one of the greatest players of all time. 
No question about that. All right, we move on to former teammate number nine with Mr. Perfect, Tom Browning. Oh, my gosh, I get all these awesome ones. 1986, Cincinnati Reds, Tony Perez. A very good friend of mine, kind of uh, uh, took care of us young guys. You know, he didn't allow us to get too full of ourselves. I remember I got called up in 84, and he was in his locker was right next to mine, and I ended up uh, taking a shutout in the ninth inning. I ended up winning the game, but I didn't finish the game. And and I was brand new to the major leagues, and I, and I was getting ready to uh, get dressed. I was dressed and getting ready to leave and go on the bus, and a reporter stopped me and said, hey, can I ask you a few questions? And, and Tony, Perez said, Tony Perez said, hey, rookie, bus ain't waiting on your ass get on the bus so i turned around and went out and i got on the bus but uh through the course of the next few years being along tony and seeing the kind of player he was and i remember sitting in the dugout and he pinch hit for somebody and i had to be sitting next to pete rose and he goes watch this base hit right center and he gets up there and gets a base hit to right center and drives a run in he said it was like clockwork you know but but he was such a professional and he was such a caring guy uh but he was fun to be around, and he didn't mind busting your chops or making you feel, uh, you know, kind of knocking you down a peg or two if you needed it. But uh, I can only imagine what kind of teammate he was in his playing days. All right, we've got one to go. Many slips of paper, but only one person is going to make the cut. Here is our 10th and final teammate for Tom Browning. 1988. Oh, my gosh. Cincinnati Reds, Barry Larkin. Well. Not a whole lot uh, that hadn't been said about him. Uh, very fortunate we share the same birthday. Um, so we're both Tauruses, and along with Louis Quinones. But, uh, you know, it was so hard, you know, because we would go play other teams, and they would always talk about how great Barry was, you know, and just all the things because he did everything. And I said, you know what, we never looked at it as it being ex- spectacular because he did it every day. You know, we, we saw it every day and uh, just never, ever thought, expected anything less. And, uh but as the thing about Barry is that you could have put him anywhere. I think you could have put him in center field, other than catching maybe or pitching. But, I mean, he was such a great athlete. But he was the right guy at the right time in the right position. I do remember they tried to make him a second baseman when Kurt Stilwell was here, and he said, I'm not a second baseman. Uh, and then he, uh, very in a short period of time, showed you that he was a shortstop and our shortstop for a long time. Uh, but he was so spectacular all the time that it was just old hat for us. We expected to see it. So... Uh, but I'm happy for him being in the Hall of Fame. I think it's a great honor, but uh, I look forward to seeing him getting more and more involved in the Cincinnati Red as well. But I consider him a very dear friend and, and again, maybe the ultimate teammate. A trip down memory lane can be fun. Yes, it was. This is incredible. I got some great names, so very easy to talk good about those guys because they were really good. That was a treat. Tom, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Dan. And up next, we'll hear from another left-handed pitcher who has been spectacular this year for one of the Reds' minor league affiliates. Extra innings brought to you in part by Kelsey Chevrolet in Lawrenceburg. Buy with confidence at Greater Cincinnati's number one Chevrolet dealer for customer satisfaction. This is News Radio 700 WLW. You are listening to the Tri-State Chevy Dealers Extra Innings Show here on News Radio 700 WLW. If you missed it earlier today, the Reds had a 7-3 lead going to the bottom of the eighth. And for the first time in a long time, Rysel Iglesias did not have it. He walked three in a row, then surrendered a grand slam to Corey Seager as the Reds gave up six runs in the bottom of the eighth and lost to Dodger Stadium 9-7. The Dodgers getting the three-game sweep. It's on to San Diego now for the Reds for a three-game series beginning tomorrow night. Our Gold Star Chili star of the game brought to you by Gold Star Chili, the flavor of Cincinnati. 
with Scott Shebler. He had two hits today, a double and a home run. The home run was his 18th of the season. He is tied for the National League lead with teammate Joey Votto, who also hit his 18th home run of the season. The major league leader in home runs, Yankees rookie Aaron Judge, who hit two more today, including one measured at 495 feet. Aaron Judge, again, a Yankees rookie, is hitting 344 with 21 home runs so far this season. His slugging percentage is 718. Yikes. You are undoubtedly familiar with the Reds' highest-rated pitching prospects going into the season. According to Baseball America, they were Cody Reed, Amir Garrett, and Robert Stevenson, who are all on the Reds' opening day roster. But I'm guessing that most of you have not heard of a left-handed pitching prospect named Scott Moss. Moss is 22 years old and currently pitching for the Dayton Dragons, where he has an 8-2 and record and a 2.47 ERA. Moss was a fourth-round draft pick last year out of the University of Florida, but he barely pitched for the Gators due to injuries. Would you believe a total of 23 innings in his college career? Tom Nichols is the radio voice of the Dayton Dragons and earlier today sat down with Scott Moss to discuss his outstanding start in the Reds minor league system. We visit now with left-handed pitcher Scott Moss and let's give a little background on you Scott as we start the interview. Uh, you lead the league in both wins and strikeouts, an 8-2 and two record at 247 ERA, headed to the All-Star game. Big guy at six foot six from Deltona, Florida, about halfway between Orlando and Daytona Beach. Played at the University of Florida and a fourth-round pick by the Reds. And let's go back. Uh, you had a great high school career in Florida. Got the chance to go play for the Gators, which had to be a dream come true. But then a big problem came up before you got to throw your first pitch. Tell us about that whole process. I came to the University of Florida. Very happy about it. Excited to go. And, you know, I was thrown in the fall before the freshman year. And it just felt a little, little weirdness in my elbow and decided to shut it down and check out what was wrong with it. And, it showed up that I had a partial tear in my UCL, and we tried to rehab it, come back from it. I couldn't, wasn't able to do it. So um, I had Tommy John surgery, and um, it took a full year of that season, as well as my sophomore season, to clear that all up. So you end up missing two full years of baseball, and that had to be frustrating for you, just not being able to get out there and compete and, and help your teammates. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was in the dugout for two seasons, basically, and I got to see those guys win the SEC championship, go to Omaha, um, compete out there. And, you know, the whole time I was I was wanting to get out on the field again. And I finally got the chance to. I started throwing those, like, live BPs to guys and trying to finally feel my stuff again. And, you know, that, that excited me. And then last year's I had 20 innings, but still, I mean, it was the dream come true. Now, you had a second surgery uh, during your sophomore year. Was that unexpected? Um, yeah, you know, I went to summer ball and um, I felt great and I just I was complaining about a little tightness and they wanted me to do another MRI and found out that I had some scar tissue and stuff. So we cleaned that up and um, that was part of why it took two years to kind of figure out. But yep. 2016, you get back on the mound, start off a little bit slowly in the bullpen and then you build up as the season goes by and have a good year. Uh, that had to be a great feeling to, to be a get back out there two years after being on the sidelines and compete and help your team? I would throw an inning here, an inning there. I know the first series I threw was against uh, Florida Gulf Coast. I threw an inning shut, uh, to clean up that game, and that kind of got the ball moving. And then they gave me a couple starts in the midweek, um, max of three innings, maybe like 50 pitches. And, um, you know, I just, just 
being able to compete again after two years and knowing that you have the same stuff was a great feeling. It is a big school, so the scouts were there. They saw you, and you started to wonder probably about the draft and do I go back for another year and prove I'm totally healthy? Do I turn pro? Was there any question in your mind as far as what you wanted to do, and especially when you were drafted as high as you were in the fourth round? When my name came across, there was no question. Um, there was no second thoughts about it. I knew that I wanted to go and be a Red. And, you know, looking back at the at the three years that I was at Florida, it, it was a very, very quick three years. Um, it was an, it was a weird three years, and, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for a minute either, so. Let's go through. Take us through your pitching repertoire, what you throw, and what you have to be able to do to be effective. Uh, yeah, I have a, a four-seam and a two-seam fastball, um, a slider, and a changeup. And um, honestly, it's it all works off my fastball. If my fastball's on the day, it's downhill and where it needs to be. My slider is going to be in that same spot, and, uh, and the changeup's going to quickly follow. So it's just one thing. If I can if I can locate my fastball where I need it to, everything takes care of itself. You're a big guy as a left-hander at six foot six. Is there a is there a major leaguer you've ever looked at as a, a comparison? Just a guy that you say well, that's similar to what I want to be. A couple of my buddies from Florida um, always said I was like a Cole Hamels, um, which is it's kind of an odd guy to, to copy. But I mean, I've been looking at video and it's 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 kind of similar to that. Scott, your season to date's been outstanding, an eight and two record, won eight consecutive decisions. Your thoughts on the way things have gone this year? Uh, very well. Um, the team is playing well as a whole, and um, I have the defense to back me up on the balls that <laughs> shouldn't really be caught. So, um, as a whole, the the entire team is doing well. The season's going well, and um, I'm just going to keep competing on the mound. You know, minor league baseball's changed a lot as the years have gone by, and now. Everybody talks about certain players as prospects and so forth. Now, you're a high draft pick, so you're going to get some attention. Do the players just try to block all that out, or is it kind of fun to keep an eye on who's being viewed as a prospect and so forth? I don't look too far into the prospect thing. Um, I just want to go out every day and win for my team, um, no matter what team I'm at, low A, high A, double A, triple A, doesn't matter. Um, win for your team right then, and everything will take care of itself in the future. My thanks to the voice of the Dayton Dragons, Tom Nichols, for that excellent conversation with pitching prospect Scott Moss. Moss is having an outstanding season, but the Reds' top minor league pitcher so far this year has been Tyler Malley, a double-A Pensacola. After pitching six scoreless innings last night, he's 7-2 and two with a 1.54 ERA. Malley has 84 strikeouts in 82 innings and has only walked 17 batters all year. He's allowed two or fewer earned runs in 12 out of his 13 starts, and he tossed a perfect game on April 22nd. Extra Innings brought to you in part by Performance Kings Honda. They'll put a smile on your face, every customer, every vehicle, every day. Coming up next, it's this week's episode of Storytime with Dan, as I'll tell you about the time one of the best pitchers in baseball handed me a massive wad of cash. This is the Tri-State Chevy Dealers Extra Inning Show on News Radio 700 WLW. Dan Orton, producer Taryn Bland, back on the Tri-State Chevy Dealers Extra Inning Show here on News Radio 700 WLW. Tonight's show also brought to you in part by CME Sewer Repair, the no-dig sewer line repair experts. Repair your sewer line from the inside. The Dodgers scored six times in the bottom of the eighth to complete a three-game sweep of the Reds today, winning 9-7. A couple of streaks came to an end for the Reds today. Zach Cozart went 0-5. for He didn't walk. He was not hit by a pitch. As a result, his streak of getting on base ends 
at 32 consecutive games. More importantly, Rysela Glacius' streak of 19 straight scoreless appearances covering 20 straight scoreless innings ended when he walked three and then gave up what proved to be a game-winning grand slam to Corey Seager, the Dodgers' outstanding young shortstop. It's on to San Diego for a three-game series. The Reds will have Thursday off, and then they're home at Great American Ballpark to face the Dodgers next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now time for this week's episode of Storytime with Dan. Here's the concept. I've been broadcasting in some way, shape, or form since the mid-1980s when I graduated from Syracuse University with a thick head of red hair. Yes, photographic evidence does exist. While the hair disappeared, the experiences grew. I have covered five Super Bowls, two World Series, the final four major bowl games, a Ryder Cup, and was once the play-by-play man for the luge competition in Lake Placid. In other words, I have seen some stuff and have some stories to tell. Tonight on Storytime with Dan, it's my Kurt Schilling story. Here goes. In 2007, when I was the TV radio voice of the Pawtucket Red Sox, the top farm club for the Boston Red Sox, Kurt Schilling joined the team for a three-game rehab assignment. It had nothing to do with the legendary Bloody Sock. In this case, he was battling back from a shoulder injury. At that point in his career, Kurt had been a six-time All-Star, a World Series MVP, and was closing in on 3,000 career strikeouts. One of the fun things about being the Pawtucket announcer is that whenever a Boston player does a rehab assignment, he almost always does it with Pawtucket because it's so convenient. Pawtucket, Rhode Island is about a 45-minute drive from Boston, so if the Paw Sox are playing a home game, the rehabbing Red Sox player doesn't even have to spend the night. He can drive down from Boston, play in the game, and turn around and go right back home. So, in July of 2007, that's exactly what Kurt Schilling did. In his first rehab start, he drove down from Boston, pitched three shutout innings, and drove home. Five days later, in his second rehab start, he drove down from Boston, pitched five shutout innings, and drove home. Unfortunately for me, that meant I had no interaction with him. By the time Schilling arrived at the stadium, I was already up in the press box to do my pregame show. And as soon as he was done pitching, he took a shower and drove home while the game was still in progress. So not only didn't I get to interview him, I didn't even get a chance to introduce myself. Well, that changed in his third and final rehab start. In this case, it was a road game in Columbus, meaning that Schilling wasn't just commuting from home. For at least one day, he was on the same schedule as everybody else. I couldn't do a pregame interview with him since starters don't do them on the nights that they pitch, but I could at least introduce myself and wish him good luck for the rest of the season. So that night, shortly after he arrived at the ballpark, I approached Kurt at his locker, said I was the radio announcer, told him how much I had enjoyed watching him pitch over the years, and wished him good luck the rest of the way. What I apparently didn't do was clarify that I was the Pawtucket radio announcer. Kurt thought that I was the Columbus radio guy. Well, that was significant because that night in Columbus, the team held a fundraiser for Mike Coolbaugh, who earlier that year had died after being hit in the neck by a line drive while coaching first base in a minor league game. Coolbaugh had played in Columbus several years earlier, and fans were encouraged to contribute anything they could to a special fund for his family. 
Well, Schilling heard about the fundraiser, and since he thought I was the Columbus radio announcer and worked for the team, he did the following. He reached into his locker and handed me a gigantic wad of cash that he said he wanted to contribute to the Coolbaugh family. I didn't count it, but I can tell you that this was not a stack of ones. This was a wad of cash similar to what Walter White hit under the house in Breaking Bad. I am guessing that Kurt Schilling handed me at least $1,000, maybe several thousand, and trusted me to make sure it wound up in the right place. My son Sam was one year old at the time and had made a great start to his college fund. Not really. I immediately went to the team offices, handed over the stack of cash, and explained that it was Kurt Schilling's contribution to the fundraiser. It appeared to be good karma. That night, Kurt pitched seven scoreless innings in his final rehab start before returning to Boston, and later that year, Schilling was the winning pitcher in Game 2 of the World Series, and it turned out to be the final outing of his Major League career. For the record, he did not hand me any of his World Series bonus. And that concludes Storytime with Dan. And that also concludes tonight's show. For producer Taryn Bland, I'm Dan Horde. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Tri-State Chevy Dealers Extra Innings Show here on News Radio 700 WLW. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.